Ephesians 1, 1 through 3. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the verse we're going to be focusing on this morning, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This ends the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. May the grass wither and the flower fade, but may the word of our God, may it stand forever. Well, Ephesians, um, this is our third installment, and we've looked uh, in the first two weeks. The first week, we looked at the overarching uh, message of Ephesians, what's given an over, uh, the outline and look at what, overall what's trying to be communicated in this book. The second week, we looked at verses 1 and 2, which is Paul's own introduction uh, to the book. And this week, we come here to the third verse. And the third verse uh, uh, brings us into a, the whole, the actual, the meat of the book, the first full section of the book of Ephesians. In the first week we looked at this, Ephesians can be broken down, broadly speaking, into two parts. Chapters one through three, which is the indicatives of the gospel. What Jesus has accomplished for us in the person, what God has accomplished for us in the person and work of Jesus. These are things that God has done, not something that we do. But then in chapters four through six, the second part of the book, part B of the book, is the imperatives. Here is what is required of you in view of the gospel. So God, as Jesus, has accomplished this for you, and now we respond in obedience in chapters 4 through 6. But even in chapters 1 through 3, we're going to have various sections, and these sections are fairly clear. And the first one of those sections is verses 3 through 14. And if you were to say this is a mini-series, if we were to essentially say, hey, 3 through 14 is a mini-series, that we might give a topical or a title to for this series, there is a one clear word that I would want to give uh, to this series, and it would be the word blessed. Verses 3 through 14 is all about Paul enumerating and articulating the blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus. In verse 3 here, we see that Paul blesses God because God has blessed us with blessings. Paul blesses God because God has blessed us with blessings. And then in verses 4 through 14, Paul then goes into a, a long, um, long run-on sentence of saying, man, look at all the ways God has blessed us in Christ Jesus. Election in verse 4, adoption in verse 5, God's will has been revealed in verse 5, his grace in verse 6, his forgiveness and redemption in verse 7, and on and on it goes. So before we dive into the specifics of these blessings for the rest of the semester, what I want to do this morning is look particularly at that word blessing in verse 3, as this ushers us into this long list of God's blessings in our life and ask this question, what does it mean as a Christian to be blessed? Because this is a word that is in our general vernacular as Christians. Paul articulated that at the beginning, right? We say, we say God bless you when people sneeze, Though we say the Lord has blessed us whenever something um, good, some physical provision or financial provision has happened. It's even reached in the, the broader context of our, of our cultural vernacular as well. I mean, if you were to go to a, a nice kind of greasy spoon in the South, what does the waitress say to you? Well, bless you, darling. That's what she says to you. And we even have um, the saying across our culture, which is God bless America. What does it mean, though, when we use this word bless? What does it mean particularly for Christians? 
In fact, in understanding this verse, we actually get to understand a number of words that are in common in the vernacular of Christians, but often we don't think about what they really mean. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to have two main sections this morning. First, we're going to look at the meaning of being blessed by God. And that's what we're going to spend about 80 to 90% of our time. And then briefly at the end, we're going to look at the results, the results of being blessed by God. What happens or the, the response to being blessed by God. Well, the meaning of being blessed by God can be understood in three phrases. I'm going to give it to you this morning. First is that the, sub, is the substance of God's blessing. The substance of God's blessing is spiritual over material. Then I want to look at the scope of God's blessing. Uh, the scope of God's blessing, which is cosmic and eternal over temporal. And then lastly, we're going to look at the source of God's blessing, which is in Christ. It's in Christ. So first, let's look at the substance. We'll look at each of these in turn. The substance of God's blessing is spiritual over material. Notice in the verse it says, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Now, here in this definition that I'm giving you that is spiritual over material, I'm comparing and contrasting spiritual blessings that come from God and material blessings, which also come from God. When we talk about spiritual blessings, we are not merely, we're not actually talking about these physical or relational blessings, which is how I think the vast majority of the time we speak about it. But we often, we normally say, well, the Lord has just blessed me during this season. I think normally what we're referring to is God has blessed me financially in some way, or it's been a season of, of real peace in our home, and relationships have been really great, or this season has been a lot of, of fun and health. But if one translation of the New Testament, where there's 112 references to the words bless, blessing, or blessed, not a single one of those references is connected to financial or material or relational blessing. They all refer to our spiritual blessings. Now, this does not mean, and in saying we're talking about that what God is blessing the Christian with is spiritual blessings, this does not mean that we demean God's physical provisions, his physical blessings. God confers physical and material blessing in his good providence, and he gives those things to us for his mission through us in this world. And in fact, Jesus promised his disciples that he would provide for their needs. In fact, G and Paul will talk about this in other places where he says, those who say, who are so quote-unquote spiritual, who say that there is, we are to reject any kind of good, any clothes, sex, fun, experiences, marriage, if we reject these things, he's saying that that's actually the doctrine of demons. That God has given us those things as a goodness from him. But what we're talking about here, and what Paul actually says that, is that we are not seeking to downgrade the physical blessings of God, but we are to have a proper uh, perspective and put physical blessings in their proper place, which is behind the value of spiritual blessings. What we are talking about here when we make a, a difference between physical or spiritual blessings is often referred to as the difference between common grace and what, that which is referred to as special grace. Everyone in this world receives common grace. Everyone, oxygen, sun, rain, food, clothing. Jesus actually says in Matthew that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. But when we talk about spiritual blessings, what we are referring to are the special blessings that come in God's work of salvation in our life, which only God's people have. Our material provisions from God are not core. They're not uh, the central blessings that they need, that we need. They are not the essential blessings that we need in our life. 
The greatest longing of the human soul, the greatest provision and blessing that you need from God is not a bigger house, more money, or even relational peace or a lack of physical suffering. But the more essential needs that we need is the salvation of our souls, the forgiveness of sins. And that's what it's referring to when it talks about spiritual blessings, these things that are good for your soul. And what this means is to apply this to us and to press this in is that the giving and taking by God of our material and temporal blessings is not a sign of the removal of God's favor. Instead, in God's goodness and in his providence, he may actually give and take away from you physical and material blessings in order to help you experience more acutely the spiritual blessings of God. Earthly blessings are, take, are temporary. They can be taken away. Just ask Job. But simply because in, a, in a simply one fateful day, Job, who is one of the most wealthy men of the, the planet at the time of his, this account in the, in the scriptures, when that fateful day, when everything is taken from him, that did not mean that God had abandoned him. And in fact, what we see in the very writing of Ephesians, here Paul is saying that we have spiritual blessings in abundance from God, is written by a man named Paul. And where is Paul when he writes this book? He is in prison. See, this is a man who is impoverished, beaten, imprisoned. He has no saving account. And yet he's a man who says, I am blessed, I am blessed, I am most blessed. Why? Because I have the spiritual blessings that are found in Christ Jesus and in fact, the removing of those physical blessings can often be the means of God bringing about a greater experience of our spiritual blessings. One popular writer, Venetha Reisner, she's a fairly well-known Christian writer and, and blogger, and she's also written a book that particularly um, that flows out of her own experience of, of significant suffering in her life. And she says this, uh, writing about Job, she said, I too, like Job, had a comfortable life that was stripped away in a mere matter of weeks. My marriage dissolved. My children rebelled and rejected me. My house spiraled downward. My family fell apart. My dreams were shattered. And yet, in the midst of those painful events, I experienced God's richest blessings. A stronger faith than I'd ever experienced before. A deeper love than I'd ever known. And a more intimate walk with God than I could explain. In other words, what I want you to see here is that by not being blessed in the physical sense may be the very means by which you experience blessing in the spiritual sense. The same writer went on to actually quote a song that you may be fairly familiar with, Laura Story's song, Blessings, in which she says this in that song, what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your trials of this life, of this life the rain, the storms, the hardest nights, are the mercies of God in disguise? And what she means by that and what the scriptures mean by that is not, I, I lost the man I thought I was going to marry, and then three months later, I actually did meet the man I was going to marry. That was his, the raindrop was, I didn't marry the wrong guy, I married the right guy. No, the point of the text is, no, his blessings come because it removed my eyes from the things of this world. And the greater blessing is I got to a greater sense of God's salvation work and the beauty that he has given to me in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the blessings. When God removes his provision sometimes. It's actually to help us experience the more deep, eternal, and lasting provision of God's blessing. And here's a test for us in regards to our spiritual condition. What excites you more? The spiritual blessings of God or the physical blessings of God? If I were to put before you and say, here's your options, 
over the next course of the next couple of months, God's either going to provide for you an amazing physical blessing or amazing spiritual blessings. If it's amazing physical blessings, it means you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Life is going to go for you the way you want it to. Or if it's the spiritual blessings, life's going to really stink. There's going to be hard things left and right, and yet every single day you're going to feel God's presence and his love and affection over you more than you've ever experienced it in your life. And you're going to grow in a faith, and you're going to grow in God's sense of love for you. Which one do you choose? Which one do you long for more from God's hands? Paul's saying these spiritual blessings are more than merely your physical circumstances. And this is a man who is writing with no savings account, but from prison. And in fact, the, the testimony of our heart, what we would long for our heart to say in response to the question is, what do you want more, the spiritual, the physical blessings, is that we would have the testimony of Paul who, in another place, in Philippians 3, what does he say about both the, the, the power, the, the goodness of his righteousness, the worth of that, and the worth of physical provisions of Philippians 3? He says, I consider them rubbish that I may have Christ, that I may know Christ, that is the spiritual blessings of your soul, that you may know Christ. So that's the first thing that I want us to see this morning, the substance of the blessings that we are given here and that we're going to be looking at over the course and enumerated in great detail in the course of the coming months, that they are, they are, uh, they are not material, they are spiritual. They have to do with the things of our salvation, the gifts that, that of special grace that lead us home. But here's a second, I also want you to see the scope of these blessings of God, the scope. The scope of the blessings of God is that they are a cosmic and eternal over simply temporal. It says this in the text, that God in Christ Jesus would bless you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, it says in the text. Now this is an, an actually a very difficult phrase to, to understand and even to interpret. You see, Paul uses an adjective that does not have a noun in this verse. In the Greek is where it actually is. In the Greek, it literally says, Paul says that your spiritual blessings are in the heavenly. It doesn't say heavenly places. The English translators have tried to add it in order to try to root what in the world world we're talking about with heavenly. But the word heaven, therefore we have to try to understand what heaven or heavenly refers to. Heaven or heavenly is, is talked about in different ways in the New Testament. There's three different ways. The two are the ways in which we're more common or are, we, we usually use more often or are more familiar with. First is to talk about the heavens as in the nature of the sky, that which is the blue in the clouds and the, it goes up into the heavens. The other way we tend to think of heaven or heavens or heavenlies is to think of the heaven of glory, that perfected final state of the redeemed and the perfect, unadulterated, unfiltered presence of God where everything is right and all things are made new. But there's actually a third way in which the scriptures talk about the heavens or the heavenlies. And this is different than both of these others. What it's referring to in the heavens is to talk about that cosmic um, dimension, realm, that is outside of the physical world. The other dimension that is spiritual. Let me see if I can show this a couple places in the way the Bible talks about this in in, in Ephesians. For example, it says this. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, it says, So that the church, uh, the church, the, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, who in the world is that talking about? There's multiple rulers and authorities in the heavenly places? I thought just God was in charge of heaven. 
All right, let's continue on with another one, another uh, passage. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. He's calling us to put on the whole, whole armor of God for spiritual warfare. And here's what Paul says. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Wait, wait, there's evil in the heavenly places? This is a, this, if this is heaven in the glorified sense, we go, excuse me, I, that is not what I was sold about heaven. I thought there was no evil in the heavens. So what it's just talking about is something different. This is talking about the cosmic realm where there is a battle and a warfare going on between God and his authority and his rule and his reign and the authority of the evil one and his cosmic powers. Now, this is something that is difficult for us Westerners and very modern scientific thinkers to embrace. Because one of the central tenets of secular philosophy and of Western civilization even is that we are in a closed system. This helps us do scientific observation. If we, in a closed system, we can observe and watch and provide explanations so that when something happens, some phenomenon happens, we can go, well, we can explain that based on such and such and such. Without the whole rigmarole of this idea that there's something spiritual from some other realm breaking into our realm and causing all sorts of havoc and chaos. But there is something beyond merely the physical world. There is a world that is beyond this one, more a world that, we, that is beyond what we can taste and feel and touch and see and observe. And this is something that most cultures in the history of the world, and indeed many cultures still today, understand. That there is a world that is actually more fundamental than this world, that is spiritual, that is in the heavenly realm and heavenly sphere, and it does dialogue with, and it breaks into the physical realm, this earthly realm, this temporal realm from time to time, where we can see and know and study and, and observe. And see if I can, I can articulate this better with a, a brief illustration. If you remember back how cultures think about this, if you remember back maybe to your old literature classes or, or, or liberal arts classes on Western civilization, you may remember reading about old Greek myths. And you would read there about the stories of antiquities. And what these are, these myths, are philosophers trying to conjecture and bring explanation, trying to explain the happenings on the earth in view of the events that they view are happening in the cosmic spiritual realm where gods are fighting other gods. So they go, I don't understand why the rain fell here and it didn't fall over here or why these crops burned up. And they would explain it in terms of various gods fighting each other in which the God of rain lost out to the God of fire. And they would have stories that they would base around this. Now understand this, this is something that Paul's original readers would have significantly been immersed in and would have had been greatly concerned about. A people whose background is constantly living in the topsy-turvy world of the battles of the gods in the cosmic spiritual realm need the security to know that this God, Jesus, has not simply won a provincial victory that is merely here on earth, but they need to know this victory and his blessings come to us, and that victory is cosmic in its stage that he simply doesn't defeat sin and death here, but he's defeated all other authorities and principalities that are in this world and in the universe. 
And therefore, just as the blessings are, are spiritual over physical and eternal over temporal, so these blessings are one and kept not merely, they're not merely just one on the battlefield of earth, but on the cosmic battlefield of the spiritual realm. This is what Paul articulates himself in other places. Colossians 1, for example, he says this, For by him all things were created in heaven, speaking of Jesus, for by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Wait, what are invisible rulers and authorities? other than a spiritual, separate spiritual cosmic realm. And then he gives us the good news in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, this very same chapter, he says this, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward those of us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the what? Heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age, but in the age to come. In other words, what I want you to see here is that Jesus' victory was cosmic. And what it means here is that these spiritual blessings that he's talking about are no mere private blessings. We tend to think of the blessings of God as being, God has just blessed me. He's just blessed us during this season. At the most, it kind of reaches to me and my family. What I want you to see is that these spiritual blessings are cosmically, eternally, and universally one that will reach over the course of all of the earth and over all of the universe. These are not mere private blessings. They are universal and cosmic blessings. This is a victory that extends beyond even this world. And who won that victory? Who won the victory for us? The eternal over temporal the spiritual over the material. Who won this victory? And this is the last thing that we see about Christian blessings, that the source of Christian blessings is Christ himself. What does it say? He blesses God because God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Blessed us in Christ. Now this is a term, in Christ, that we will see over and over again in the writing of, the, of the, this letter to the book of, or the letter to the church in, in Ephesus. And it's actually throughout the New Testament, in particular in Paul's writing. So much so that uh, theologians have articulated what they call un, a doctrine called the union with Christ, that we are so intimately connected with Christ that we get what Christ gets. Now, let me see if I can illustrate this idea of what it means to be united to Christ in this way. In most places in the world, if you get married to someone, well, if you, let's say you're a very impoverished person. You're somebody who is, uh, you grow up very poor, you have no money, and you get married and you bring no wealth into the marriage, no, no provision, hardly anything else, but the person that you marry is of extraordinary wealth. They have, they've worked hard, they have status, they have smarts, they have an inheritance. They've been given all sorts of wealth and blessings and you have nothing. But then you marry them. And in most places of the world, when you marry them, their stuff becomes your stuff. This is the blessings of union. And for example, in Romans chapter 6, it says that we have been united with Christ in his death. Which means this, when he died, you died. 
When he took on a penalty, all your penalty was taken there as well. And then it goes on to say that if you're united with him in death, that you're also united with him in his resurrection, which means when he gets a new glorified physical body and is raised from the dead, so you will get a new glorified body. You get what Jesus gets. That's what it means. And so when Jesus gets an inheritance, you get inheritance. When Jesus gets a glorified body, you get a glorified body. When Jesus takes on rule and a power and authority, you get rule and a power and authority alongside of him. You're united to him because we're in him. Every spiritual benefit that he has comes to you as well. Now, ultimately, what I want you to see here is as our source, this connection with the in the heavenly places. Ultimately, these spiritual blessings are in heaven because that is where Jesus is. Your blessings come from above, from heaven itself, because the source of our blessing, Jesus, resides there. And therefore, what is the application that we are called to have in the, in the New Testament and trying to draw and draw out life for today out of these blessings? These spiritual blessings that were like, okay, they're eternal and they're spiritual. Well, how in the world do I enjoy those today in my very physical, temporal life with all of its difficulties? Well, here's what Paul says in Colossians 3, verse 1. If you then have been raised with Christ, that's a union with word, you've been resurrected with him, therefore seek the things that are above where Christ is, is seated at the right hand of God, and set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. In other words, you've been given spiritual blessings, so think about them. And where are those spiritual blessings held? They are held up above, in Jesus, in the heavenly places. What this means is that you consider, that you marinate in, that you meditate upon all that is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, I would say this. If you are struggling to know what in the world, what's the purpose of devotional time in the morning? I would say it is probably more than this, but it is not less than this. It is to get up and remind yourself to set your mind on these things as I engage with the challenges of today. I'm going to set my mind upward, and I'm going to consider at the beginning of the day all my hopes, all my inheritance, all the joys that are mine and found in Jesus in heaven. Let me just walk through what this kind of means practically. If you're, you're set your mind and life on the fact that your citizenship is within, with Jesus in heaven, your citizenship is not based here on earth. And so if you're distressed about this world, this secures you, the fact that your citizenship is not in any place or country or um, group here, but it is in Jesus himself, in your citizenship in heaven, Philippians 3.20. You set your mind on your hope that is in heaven, Colossians 1.5, because there we, it's in Christ that we have hope in the midst of a hopeless world. You consider that your inheritance is in heaven. You're facing a day where you're going, man, I don't... I'm facing nothing but bills and problems and broken down cars and I'm gonna walk through my house and all of this is a reminder of all the things that I wish I could fix but I have no ability to do so and you go, my inheritance is in heaven. My inheritance is in heaven. First Peter 1, 4. And you consider that these things, these beautiful things cannot be taken from you. Why can't they be taken from you? Because Jesus' victory is not merely here on earth but it's cosmic. It's in the heavenly places. 
And therefore Paul says, and we love this verse in Romans 8, 37, 38. And knowing all these things, we know that we are more than conquerors. Have you conquered? No, he conquered, and you get conquered through him. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, think heavenly places, neither angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's the spiritual blessings that we have. They can't be taken. They've been won not simply here on earth, but across the universe and across time and space in the realm and dimensions of the heavenly places. And so we set our mind on this which cannot be taken from us. And what should result if we're a people who look at it and go, God has blessed me, God has blessed me, God has blessed me. I have no money. I'm in jail. Life stinks. My country's going to pot. I'm a blessed person. Why? Why? I'm a blessed person because of what Jesus has done for me. And the results of this is that we become a people, not ones who are joyless and in despair, but we become a people who worship, worship. In fact, this is where the whole, it begins, right? The result of being blessed by God is that you worship God. The apostle begins by blessing God for showering us with every spiritual blessing. This is the word of praise that stands as the topic sentence of the whole rest of verses 4 through 14. Verse 3 through 14 is one sentence. Did you know that? In the Greek, it's one sentence. It's 202 words. And it is one, run, uh, what do you call it, run-on sentence. Those of you who are grammar geeks, this is just, this would just dr either drive you crazy or it would be the greatest, like, you're going to diagram it. And your diagram is going to take the whole stinking sheet just to diagram this. You remember those things? Those were awful to know when you put the line down and it has the direct object. And, but here's how the structure of the blessings that, are, that Paul's going to enumerate in verses 4 through 14 for us. It does have a structure. Verses 3 through 6, it's a Trinitarian structure. It tells us about the work of the Father who elects us and adopts us. Then it tells us about verses 7 through 12, about the work of the Son, Jesus, who through him we're going to have redemption, forgiveness of sins. And this is for the verses 13 through 14 are going to tell us about the work of the Spirit. The entire divine community, Father, Son, and Spirit, the three persons of the Trinity are working together to do this for you, to bless you, to bless you with every spiritual blessing. We need to take our time on this, and we will. We can, Ed can make fun of me every week, and I'm sure he will. He is wont to do that. But we will take our time on this because, you see, to run through these verses, to run through this run-on sentence that runs for about 10 verses here, 202 words, to run through it too quickly would be like trying to enjoy the Smithsonian on rollerblades. To sprint through the Smithsonian or through the Louvre would be foolishness. You would miss so much. And the whole point of this is that you would stop and you would ponder and you would meditate. And Paul will say, set your mind on these things. But here's what I want you to see. Is that what we're about to engage in for the course of the next rest of the semester and looking at the deep riches of looking at these blessings one by one. Is that we are looking at them because from the bare beginning, the heart of it is we want to praise God. And that the end of it, the end of our study will be to praise God. God. Ephesians 1, 3 says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul begins his great articulation of all that God does for us, his great theological treatise by saying, I'm worshiping God right now. Ultimately, verses 4 through 14 is not simply a theological work by Paul. It is a doxology. It is a praise song of Paul for who, how awesome God is. 
He is eulogizing. That's the literal word here in the Greek. Eulogizing God for what he has done. And this is where all of our theologizing and all of our learning and all of our studies should begin and end. My father used to have a, a statement that he would say all the time about deep study of the word. He got it from an old, crusty Dutch theologian named G.C. Burkauer. And here's what he says. Theology, which is the study of God and his word. Theology must begin and end with doxology. Now that's using 50 cent language to say this that all of your study must begin and end with worship. Doxology means doxo, glory, which means it is to give a word of glory to God, and that is how Paul begins. He is glorifying God by articulating back to God, this is all the immense things that you have done. And so what Burkhauer wants us to do is that we would be a people who long to study God's word because we, long to, we want to praise God, and that would be the heart that flows out of us. So theology begins and ends with doxology. And if you read this book, and if we go through and we enumerate the blessings of the fact that God has elected you from before time, and that he has adopted you as his son and daughter, and he has forgiven your sins, and he has redeemed you by the work of Jesus, and he has reconciled you into relationship with him, and he's given you an inheritance in heaven, if you hear all those blessings of God and you find your heart going, wah, wah, it does tell you that there is something wrong. And so the question for us, because if you're like me, that will happen. That there are moments in our life where, like Paul, we're just going to start writing and suddenly we're going to burst forth with a 202-word uh, poem of, of praise to God. But that's, that's not where a lot of times we end or where we are at. And therefore, if I could say this for us, to, as a word of application to close this morning, if you are there and you're going, oh, yay, we're going to study... Redemption and forgiveness of sins. I know about these things, and it's just his old hat to me. I'll tell you, what I would call you to do is to be like the psalmist. In fact, I, I think Paul was probably reading Psalm 103 when he was writing this and thinking about it. Because here's how the psalmist calls us to act and, and to do this, this work that, that would cause us to lead us to worship. He says this in verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. You hear what he's doing? Who is he talking to? Is he talking to God? No, he's talking to himself. He's saying, hey, soul, bless the Lord. Your God is worthy to be blessed, to be praised, to be given glory and honor. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, he says in verse 2. And what does he say? How will he bless the Lord? And forget not all of his benefits. Set your mind on the things above, where your benefits, where your blessings lie. The psalmist says, I'm going to recall all of God's benefits and blessings, and maybe that will lead me to worship. And so what does he do for the rest of the passage in Psalm 103? He's going to articulate all of God's benefits. He's going to remember them and articulate them over and over and over again. And he's hoping to bring his soul into a place where his soul goes, yes, I am now worshiping the Lord. But I also want to comfort you in this. I want you to know that even in your, in your frustration with your soul, that when, you, when you, we study these things and we sing about these wonderful things that God has done for us, and you sense your soul and you're going, man, I sense it. I want to worship God, but man, my heart just isn't there. I want you to know that even that is an act of worship. Because that's what the psalmist is doing. He's saying, I'm not forgetting all of God's benefits. I'm reflecting on these things, and yet I still have to tell my soul, soul, what are you doing? 
You should be more excited than this. Don't you feel that way sometimes? I don't understand why my heart is not kicking in to worship God, but I want you to say that even that is an act of worship because what you're ascribing to God is you're saying, God, you are, you're worthy more than my, my puny, pathetic, weak, half-hearted worship can deliver. And so I'm just going to articulate it to you and hope that eventually, by your grace and by your mercy, the penny's going to drop, and I will experience a heart that just overflows with worship to you. And this is what the psalmist wants us to do to week in and week out, to day in and day out, to consider, to set our minds upon the blessings and benefits that are ours in Christ Jesus. And whether our soul follows or not, we say to our soul, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. And then we just tell him what they are. And we hope and trust that in time, he will do enormous work within us. You want that? I want that. That's what I want us, God to do in us in the midst of this study in Ephesians 1 that you would be so convinced that the three members of the Trinity long to bless your soul, so much so that your soul would well up in praise to God. May that be so. Let's pray. God, it's actually so ironic that I didn't feel this very much. I'm not even sure the people here, if they could sense it or not, that I'm almost trying to conjure up the energy and the emotion within me to draw out, like, pulling something out of me. And so, Lord, I confess that my heart is often way too easily distracted by the things of this world and that I do not do deep rumination and meditation upon your blessings. And so, Lord, may you do the opposite of having me forget your benefits. Would you help me to remember them? Would you help me to remember them? And, Father, just pastorally, I want to pray for two people here this morning. For those in this room who are looking at their life and they're like, man, I have lots of physical provision. Life is good right now. We are are cruising along. Gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that the blessings, these greater spiritual blessings would help them to hold the the current physical blessings they have, to hold them loosely, that they would be willing to lay them down at your feet for the good of your kingdom, to say that they want you more than the mere physical provisions that you provide. And then, Lord, for those in this here this morning who frankly think that you've done them a raw, given a raw deal on the physical provision side, that life is relationally and financially and physically tough right now. Perhaps it's been tough for a really long time. And they are wondering, Lord, I, I, don't, I thought you were supposed to give me some physical provisions. <laughs> Lord, would you convince their heart once again of how good your spiritual provisions are? Would they fall upon and rest upon your spiritual blessings all afresh and anew? Would you convince them that you set them aside before the foundations of the earth and called them your own? Would you convince them that they are indeed sons and daughters of God? Would you, would you encourage their spirit to know that they're accepted and loved and forgiven and redeemed by you? And that that would give them hope and life and joy even in the midst of difficult circumstances? And Lord, where we are dead inside by these truths, Lord, I pray that you would awaken us, 
and that we would cry out to you as an act of praise, laying our weak praise before you until we feel it again. And Lord, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.